Uh, today, I am going to be sharing the fifth message in a series of messages uh, that we've been calling Distortion. Um, this particular series, uh, more specifically than the word distortion, we've been uh, particularly dealing with what are called cognitive or, or thought distortions. We've, we've said it several times during this series, and it, it is this, a distortion is an, an interruption or a twisting of the signal through misleading or false impressions that change the original Intent. Now, we have looked at this subject quite in depth over uh, the last several weeks. The, the first two weeks uh, in this series, Disruption, we, uh, we learned about distortions uh, from the, the writings of Paul in which he uh, prescriptively dealt with and specifically dealt with the mind and how believers uh, should deal with thought distortions, how they should deal with the battlefield, if you will, of their mind. And so we took a couple of weeks and we looked at Paul's prescriptive instructions. And then the second two weeks of this series, we, we took a little bit different route. Uh, we started looking at a particular individual named Elijah, and we took sort of a descriptive route. We looked at Elijah's life and how he was dealing with some specific thought distortions in his life. And so we looked at it prescriptively, we looked at it descriptively, and a story or some, um, I, I took some time to share with you a story, uh, Ben Dillery's from, from my life. Um, I, I talked about the fact that recently I've uh, been dealing with uh, a, a sort of a, a season in my life where I've been triggered, uh, and, and really it caused me to recognize some things that happened in my life 15 years ago and how events that happened in my life uh, 15 years ago still affect me uh, today and over the last few months, how I've been triggered and dealing with thought distortions based on events that happened in my life 15 years ago. And I, I tried to sort of explain how there was this, this sort of season of convergence in my life 15 years ago where I made uh, some mistakes, where there was a set of circumstances that were beyond my control, and then and then how there were people who mistreated me and how the convergence of my mistakes, of situations that were beyond anyone's control and, and the mistreatment of others created an event in my life that affected me. And how recently, just kind of a passing conversation, uh, recently just struggling with just normal life events and the life of a pastor and a joke sort of triggered those feelings, those thoughts, uh, my imagination, my insecurities, my fears from so long ago. You know, we all, we all have our journey. Uh, if you were to go around this room, what I've found throughout this series is as people have responded to me, if we, we go throughout this room, we all have those things. We all have those things that trigger us. We all have those moments, uh, those places in time uh, that have wounded us or scarred us. And really, really, as we grow in Christ, it is a matter of growing through those places, those events, those scars, those situations beyond our control, our mistakes, the mistreatment of others. It really, growing in Christ is really about growing in how we, how we respond to those things. And, and for me, um, 
as a pastor, or, or maybe even more accurately, maybe even because I'm a pastor, I deal with, with my feelings of insecurity. I deal with my inadequacies. I, I deal with my failures, and oftentimes it's on display. Um, every Sunday, it's on display. If I have a blemish on my face, it's on display every Sunday, right? If I'm not feeling good about myself physically, it's on display. Whether you notice or not, I feel like you notice. Most of the time, what I realize is that most people don't notice, but I feel like you notice, right? Uh, last week, where you shared, and sometimes for you, um, it, it highlights those insecurities. It highlights those fears. It highlights those inadequacies. I'll give you, I'll give you an example of just how, just how twisted this is. I received so much positive feedback this week from people who were like, yeah, thank you for being so honest. Thank you for, uh, thank you for being so transparent about your struggle. That really helped me. But can I tell you that all week long, it wasn't those positive things that was echoing in my heart and in my ear. It was, man, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to think that maybe I'm not very spiritually strong because I'm dealing with that. I wonder, I wonder if they'll really trust me as their pastor because something happened to me 15 years ago that I'm still carrying with me. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? See, that's how, that's how thought distortions work. There was not a single person this week who told me, you know what, Randy, I'm leaving the church. Because clearly you're a messed up dude and I don't want to follow you. No one said that to me this week. In fact, when I really am honest, the feedback that I received this week is thank you. That's awesome. That helped me. That makes me, that makes me trust you more. That you. That's the feedback that I received this week, but... The internal feedback loop just keeps coming back to those insecurities, comes back to those fears, comes back to the fact that it's been a holiday break. And uh, so a lot of people have been on holiday and hadn't been at church. And I'm like, uh, man, the attendance numbers look bad. So is it because I stink at being a pastor? Never mind the fact that you just want to go on holiday, right? Hello? You just want to go on holiday, right? Man, I want to go on holiday. <laughs> never, never mind that there's normal rhythms in life and the attendance of people in this season, in this moment where I've been dealing with these thought distortions and then I'm really transparent, I'm really honest, it brings up inside of me the fear that, oh, oh, the church isn't growing and it's my fault. People aren't giving and it's my fault. Uh, the church doesn't do, isn't doing this, so it's my fault. Are you hearing me? Distortions will torment us if we allow them to. And so that's why we're taking so much time to talk about it. When I was... When I was really young, I had uh, a conversation with a pastor that I really admired because I, and I, I wanted to really learn from him how to be, you know, how to be effective in ministry, not just, not just how to be, uh, not just preach every week, but how to really be effective. And I admired this individualness. How do you really lead people as a shepherd? And, and uh, I'll never forget in the conversation he, he made this statement. He said to me, Randy, to minister uh, effectively, to really minister effectively and authentically, you have to preach 
out of the overflow of what God is doing in your life. And it stuck with me because, you know, what I do every week, if you're not careful, could become very clinical. It could become a very professional thing. I'm supposed to get up and preach every week. And so I know the Bible well. I've spent a lot of time studying it. I've been taught how to construct messages. And so I could really very easily just get into a rhythm of preparing sermons that are 1,400 words so that I get done in time and the children's ministry doesn't get upset with me. That are the right number of words, that have the right number of points, that, that, that puts an anecdote here and a funny story here and a point there. I could easily go through the formula and just do my job. And the truth is, a lot of times that would probably be adequate for a lot of people. But what this pastor said to me was, that, you know, if you really want to have an effective ministry over a lifetime, if you, really want to, if you really want to grow with a group of people and you want a group of people to grow with you, then you have to minister out of the overflow. In other words, what he was saying to me was, really, Randy, uh, the work of the Lord, the, the Lord has to be working in your life. The Word of God has to be active in transforming you. And it's as the Holy Spirit is active in transforming you and you're ministering out of that active transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life, that it's going to resonate with other people, that it's going to be authentic, and that change is going to happen in other people's lives. In other words, it's not just a clinical thing for you. It's not just a professional thing for you. And, and so over the, uh, really, this year, uh, and I, I would like to say over my lifetime, but I can tell you that the whole theme and the way we've moved together during this year really has been so raw for me. Because as early as, as we entered this year, the Lord made a statement to me, the Holy Spirit made a statement to me, um, and it was, I, I, it's, I struggled to sort of understand what the Lord was saying. He, sa he was said to me, turn up the volume, but eliminate the noise. Randy, this is, this, is, and this is what I'm saying to you. Turn up the volume, but eliminate the noise. Oh, now, listen, I, I don't know when, when it happened in my life. I don't know what age it sort of clicked, but all it happens to everybody where you become that guy where you're like, turn down the music. Some of you are there. Some of you are looking at me and judging me because you're not there yet, but you'll get there. I don't know what age it happens, probably a different age for every person, but I've crossed over that place. There was a time in my life I wanted the music blaring in my car. I wanted, I wanted everything blaring. Now when it's blaring loud, it's just because I can't hear anymore. Right? And so as the Holy Spirit was saying this to me, it kind of, I was like, Lord, it, it doesn't make sense. And and, and then the Lord began to clarify. And so you, you notice we went through that season where we were talking about revival and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and turning up the volume of the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. But then the other side of that is as I'm, as I'm growing in my awareness of the Holy Spirit, I've got to tune out the noise of the enemy. And really over the last several weeks, we've been talking about that tuning out the noise of the enemy. And sometimes the enemy is not just the devil. Sometimes the enemy is our own brokenness. Sometimes the enemy is our soul that betrays us. Sometimes the enemy is old wounds and old hurts and circumstances that scarred us and wound us and imprinted upon us a mindset or a feeling or an emotion that is now affecting me today. 
over the last several weeks, what I've basically been trying to do is to teach us a concept called reframing. Reframing is the act of pausing to acknowledge what I am thinking, interrogating that thought against the truth, and then consciously choosing to release the authority of those thoughts which do not align with truth to determine my reality. Now, I understand that is a long run-on sentence. And, um, and I understand that some of you can probably write that sentence better. And I would love for you to send it to me. But that's the way I wrote it. And so I, I'm, I'm pausing right now and I'm delaying because I want, you, I want you to take that, I want you to write that statement down, either put it in your notes or your phone or how, take a picture of it, whatever you do. Because this is what I've been trying to teach us over the last several weeks. We've, through the process that we went through, um, looking um, in the book of Philippians, what, we've, what we went through when we, when we looked at uh, Romans chapter 12, really was learning this concept, this concept of reframing, this concept of pausing to acknowledge what I'm thinking. Because here's what happens when psychologists or psychoanalysts talk about uh, um, cognitive distortion or thought distortions. Originally, the early research uh, called it automatic thoughts. And I love that, that, that they're just, impl- thought distortions work that way for most of us. For most of us, I, I don't even have any conceive or automatic thoughts. They just occur. Right, I, I don't even I, I don't even have any control over it. Um, something happens, and immediately I'm provoked to feel like I'm a loser as a pastor. This is the problem because I'm so terrible. I don't even I don't I don't take time to even examine that thought. It's just automatic. It it provokes within me an old neural pathway, and that neural pathway lights up, and all of a sudden I'm feeling a feeling that is out of alignment with reality, and I've had no control over it at all. Are you with me? When we learn the skill of reframing, it starts with being willing to pause, being willing to stop, being willing to say, hey, just a second, before I react, before I respond, even before I indulge a feeling or an emotion, is this true? Is it right? Is it holy? Does it align with scripture? Does it align with what God has said about me? Does it align with reality? Does it align with with what's going on in my life right now? Or is this the residual of 15 years ago and working through, are you with me? So we've been learning practically through the prescriptive words of Paul in Philippians 4 and Romans 12 about how we reframe, and then we learn descriptively through the life of Elijah. And here's, here's what we've had to come to a place of understanding is, is I'm not God. Let, let that sink in for a minute. Most of us could eliminate the destructive nature of thought distortion in our life if we would just settle 
in our soul, our heart, our mind, once and for all, I'm not God. And when I settle that in my life, it begins to release some things. Here's the implication of the fact that you're not God and I'm not God. The implication is I cannot, pre- I cannot presume omniscience. In other words, I can't presume to know everything. Because I am not omniscient, much of what I think, feel, and believe is rooted in a lie. Now, some of you said, hmm, because you were like, oh, yeah, that rings true. And, but the rest of you were like, ah, I don't know if I like that statement very much. I don't believe a lie. I'm not living distortions over the last several weeks. How many of us have, as we went through that list of thought distortions and as we've been talking about it, how many of us have said, oh, I do that. Yeah, I see that at work in my life. How many of us during this last several weeks that we've been talking about it will be right in the middle of an interaction at work or with our spouse or or with our child or our sibling, and right in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit's like, ding, 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 ding. What are you doing there? What are you thinking there? Is that true? Is that real? Is it holy? Is it righteous? Does it align with my word? Here's the thing. I'm not God. You're not God. So therefore, I do not know everything. And because I don't know everything, I have to, I have a responsibility to examine my thoughts, to examine my emotions, to examine my beliefs, and to, and to put them up against Scripture, to put them up against my encounter with God and what God has said about me. And I have to examine them in light of those things. But most of us are unwilling to do that. Most of us are trapped in a place and a space in our own inner world in which we presume omniscience. We presume to know what somebody else is feeling or thinking. And we can predict it and therefore we can judge it. And most often when we judge it, we judge it as harsh against ourselves, right? We judge it as an assault on our being, our personhood, our agency. We judge it as something that's coming after us that puts us under threat. Talked a lot about threat over the last several weeks. I'm I'm wondering, has, has your threat meter, have you been aware of your threat meter over the last several weeks? Have you sensed the times in which you sense that you're under threat, whether it be emotionally or physically? Are you paying attention to how often you're responding to the stress and the pressure of threat? Most of us, if we will become more aware of how we are responding to our perception of threat, we will become more aware of the fact that we are presuming threat where we do not know threat exists. You like this part, so I probably should move on. Being willing to interrogate my thoughts, feelings, and emotions against the simple yet hard-to-admit truth that I am not God has everything to do with my emotional and spiritual health. Being willing to ask myself, am I presuming to know things that there's no way I can verify if I know them or not? Emotional and spiritual health. 
being willing to say, every time I interact with Aaron and he responds to me or I see his facial expression and I automatically presume that I know what he thinks and he feels about me or my situation, being willing to be honest with myself and say, I'm not God, I don't know his thoughts, how can I possibly How can I possibly allow things to be written on my heart that I'm assuming about him? Being humble enough to recognize that I'm not God automatically, automatically puts me on a road to emotional and spiritual hell. Most of us put ourselves in the place of being God, presuming what other people think, feel, and know, and therefore continually keep ourselves under that place of stress. A lot of us have a hard time accepting that we're not God. A lot of us have a hard time accepting that we don't know what we don't know. A lot of us have a hard time accepting that because of biology, because of the way our brain is designed. Your brain is literally designed to make things easier for you, to make thinking and response easier for you. Your brain, out of its attempt to biologically be more efficient through the way that it works, is designed to make presumptions. This week, uh, just during my just personal free time, um, I, I was doing a lot of uh, reading and research and watching YouTube videos on one of my favorite subjects, which is AI. I love, uh, I'm very fascinated with AI, and I honestly believe that... Um, A lot of the way the world is moving, we need to understand what's going on with AI. Another conversation for another day. But it was so fascinating. Um, I had read a book a while back on it, and I was watching um, some, some scientists talk about it this week. And they were showing some examples of interviews um, with some of the most advanced AI in the world right now. And as they were, um, as they were processing through uh, the conversation... One of the things that, uh, that they talked about was how the AI, um, number one, would lie. And, and when asked, why are you lying? It was lying to protect itself. That was always its motivation for lying. Why would you lie? Well, I would lie to protect myself. Um, and then secondly, what was so fascinating, what even the, the scientists said was fascinating about the AI was that the, the AI had a, had a, a strong tendency that when it talked about itself and when it talked about things that were moral or things that were ethical, some of these abstract ideas, that it had a tendency to move beyond factual information and to move into assumption. And particularly, uh, if you've been watching the news recently, uh, there was this scientist uh, who came out and said Google's uh, AI is uh, transient, that it's alive, and that we should be treating it as if it's alive. And there was all of this sort of debate on this a few weeks ago. And, and people's response to it basically said, listen, it's not alive. It was created to respond to us in the way that it thinks we want it to respond, to feed back based on all of the information that it has collected. And the scientist said, the way that works is exactly the way the human brain works. 
The human brain is just feeding back a collection of all of its past experiences and what it thinks is the most efficient response to the next situation. You may say, Pastor Randy, what, is this, what does this have to do with me? And what does this have to do with God or Christian? You haven't even read the Bible yet. What a terrible pastor. See, these are the thoughts I have. So let's go to Romans chapter tw- uh, 7. Let me show you something. In Romans chapter, uh, the book of Romans, Paul in particular is dealing with this massive theological issue uh, where basically he's trying to help people, uh, among many things, he's trying to help people to understand uh, the the grace of God and that we're saved through the work of Christ. And he's one very huge theological theme that he deals with the book of Romans is that, that, that we are saved uh, by grace through faith. It's a common Pauline concept. We as Protestant Christians, we believe that it's very embedded into our, our thinking these days. But in those days, it would, have been, it would have been a very challenging concept. And so Paul really takes m- many of his letters to sort of establish theologically this idea. And in, in Romans 7 and 8, he really de- deals into the weeds of this. So let me read to you from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. I know it's a big portion, but I want you to hear this. He said, We know that the law is spiritual. He's talking specifically about the law of Moses and what the Jewish people would have followed as the law. But I am unspiritual, talking about himself. So sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Boy, that really, that really contradicts everything we're taught in popular culture and society, doesn't it? But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do This I keep on sin living in me that does. Now, if I do what I do not want to, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body, from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Do you guys remember the point? I was actually standing right over here last Sunday where I said, we got to all stop being so crazy. Do you remember when I said that? Do you remember that? Okay, uh, I, uh, it was a funny moment, and I was trying to be a little bit lighthearted, but a little bit serious all at the same time, uh, because I don't know about you, but the more that I've been honest with myself about thought distortions, the more I've had to be honest with myself about the craziness in my life, the times in which I just seem to be being irrational. Well, when I read Paul's words there in Romans chapter 7, it makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Because it sounds a little bit crazy, right? Here is this guy talking about himself, and he's talking about the different parts of himself that's at war with himself. And, and that, sounds, that sounds pretty crazy. 
But as Paul is sort of describing this internal dialogue, this internal war that is going on, and he's exposing this great theological truth, which is the fact that we're not saved through the law or through works. We're saved through the work of Jesus Christ. As he's talking about this great theological truth, he's also exposing what goes on inside of all of us. This is this war. This is this tendency toward distortion, this tendency toward believing things that are not the reality of who God has created us to be. Here's the truth, friend. You and I, when we're really honest, we have to understand there is a battle going on inside of us. And part of that battle is biological. Part of that battle is our our neurology, the way our, our brain is wired. But there is another aspect to this. In fact, the reason I'm trying to teach us reframing is that reframing on its own is, while a powerful tool, reframing on its own is never good enough. In fact, if you read my definition of reframing, it's different than you would find in a psychology book because my definition, how, are outside of ourself. Human reframing basically says, I see what I, what's going on, I'm going to take that and I'm going to imagine it differently, I'm going to think about it differently. But biblical reframing says more than just, I'm going to rely on myself to see it differently. Biblical reframing says, I can't rely on myself to see it differently. I need a power outside of myself to rewrite, to rewrite my thinking to rewrite my neural pathway, to rewrite my biology, to rewrite the way I see the world and I see myself. Paul, when he talks about reframing, when he talks about how we, how we do warfare in our mind, he is emphatically suggesting to us that that warfare in our mind is not just dependent upon us. In fact, he moves from chapter 7 into chapter 8 and he builds, if you will, an entire theology around reframing that is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. As he moves us from Romans 7 into Romans 8, he says, listen, The way you're going to do this, the way you're going to be successful at this is through the work of the Spirit. See, it is a spiritual battle to think, feel, and believe the truth. And you say, Ray, I don't understand. How are we we getting there? Well, if you you read Romans chapter 7... The sort of the context of this conversation is that there was a group of people, Jewish, remember Jewish people who had become a part of the church. Now remember, Jewish people believed they were the chosen people of God. That's what they had been taught. But down the line, they had become confused about their place in the kingdom. And they had come to believe that their place in the kingdom was established through right behavior. In other words, if I keep the law, if I do all of the right stuff, then everything is going to be okay. The gospel through Jesus Christ challenged the idea that the answer to righteousness was right behavior. In fact, what Paul is establishing in the book of Romans is this, right behavior is good, it's right, and it's righteous, but right behavior doesn't make us right people. Instead, what makes us right people is the work of Christ, which transforms us, which then leads to right behavior. 
Some of us have been hearing these messages about thought distortions, and we've been saying, okay, now I'm really determined. I'm going to think all the right things. And every time we've had a wrong thought, we've been like, oh, I can't think that way. Let me think better. Anybody besides me? And then those of us who are really twisted, who are really a little bit sick, bad Randy, bad Randy, this, what we thought was, oh, every time I have a bad thought, bad Randy, bad Randy, bad Randy, think different. I wouldn't think that way. If I was a, here, here's where it gets twisted. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't think that way. If I was a better Christian, I wouldn't treat people that way. I wouldn't respond to my kid that way. I wouldn't respond to my, if I was just better, then I would be better. Anybody besides me? Paul's confronting this whole idea that right behavior leads to righteousness. He says, listen, it's righteousness that leads to right behavior. You've got it, you've got it backwards. Many of us, if I would have left us where we were, where I left off last week, many of us would have walked away from this series and thought to ourselves, okay, I just have to be, I just have to be better at my thinking. And the weight would have still been on us to produce in us what we're incapable of. Scripture teaches over and over and over again that left to ourselves, our souls are broken. When Paul talks in Romans chapter 7 about his literal lack of ability to do what he knows is right, it brings relief and freedom for us as modern followers of Jesus to understand that you and I cannot willpower ourselves into health. We cannot willpower ourselves into wholeness. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's physical. Yes, there are physical things at play, but it is also spiritual. We as followers of Jesus Christ must understand that this battle that goes on in our mind is spiritual. Romans chapter 8 Verses 5 and 6, this is what Paul says. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Well, there's a framework for you. Pastor Andy, how do, how do I know if, if what I'm thinking, if I'm, what I'm feeling, if what I'm believing is God or is it, is it my brokenness? Is it the enemy? How do I know? The scripture does a wonderful job providing a framework for us. Does it lead to death? Does it replicate death? Or does it lead to life and peace? Romans 7 and 8 teaches us that reframing is about what I give authority to. That's the part of reframing that is unique to us as followers of Jesus Christ. We're saying, I'm going to give authority to something that is outside of myself, outside of how I feel in this situation, outside of what I believe about this situation, outside of my memory of the last time that this happened to me. I am going to give authority to something outside of myself. See, 
the thing is, is my brain, my soul, my mind, will, and emotions, it will trick me. It will lead me to death. It will lead me to brokenness when left on its own. That's what Paul is saying. That's what the confusing thing that he's saying in Romans 7 is left to our own. We will do nothing but lead ourselves to death. We cannot behave our way into health. On the other hand, through the work of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, a power outside of ourselves, we will gain the capacity to have perspective over those things that we think, over those things that we feel, over those ideas that we believe. A partial truth will never lead to peace. And this is how thought distortions work. A thought, a thought distortion takes a partial truth and it fills in the blank. When the scientists were describing the AI, when an AI lies or when an AI takes a firm position on a moral or ethical issue, what it does is it takes a little bit of the truth and it fills in the blank with how it thinks we want the answer to be. That's how it tricks us into believing it is a lie. It simply fills in the blank. And that's exactly what thought distortions do. Thought distortion takes a partial truth based on an experience that I had 15 years ago. And Aaron responds to me a certain way and fills in the blank that because this happened to me 15 years ago, it must mean that's what he's thinking about me right now. It must mean that because I'm omniscient and I will presume to know what I cannot possibly know. Are you with me? Paul says, those people who are in the spirit, those people who are in the spirit, they don't rely on their flesh to fill in the blank. They rely on a power outside of themselves to align them with what is really true. I want to ask you a question today. Is it possible, is it possible that like me, that you need spiritual help to deal with what is a very real physical problem in your life to deal possible let me let me say that a little is it that exists in your life is it is it possible that what you think is just a personality conflict is really a spiritual issue what you think is 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 it's just a it's just a, a boss who's a jerk is it possible that it's spiritual what you think is a, is a marriage that's in trouble. Is it possible that it's more than just a marriage that is in trouble because you were raised one way and she was raised another way? Is it possible that something spiritual is happening? Is it possible that the intervention that you need is not more you just acting better, but that the intervention that you need is the help of the Holy Spirit to rewrite neuropathways. You know, we, we believe God to heal people when they're sick. Why can't we believe God to heal people when they're emotionally sick? We, we believe God to, to heal cancer, or at least I, I think we do. Why can't we believe God to heal the scars of physical abuse when I was eight years old. Are you with me? Is it possible that we 
have made room for the Holy Spirit. Desiree led us in that song. We made room for God in lots of areas of our lives. But there's some areas where we've said, I got this. I know what they're thinking. I know what they're feeling. I've had this experience before. Paul says, listen, here's the thing. You, you Roman believers, you're trying to bootstrap this whole Christianity thing. You're trying to do it on your own. And when you try to do it on your own, you can behave the right way, but you know your own mind betrays you. And you know that when your mind is betraying you, ultimately, you trying to do it the, the right way is going to ultimately lead to the biggest meltdown. You know it's true. It led to a meltdown for Israel over and over and over again as she tried to keep the law. And so he says to this new group of believers, let's not, let's not put our trust and our confidence and our ability to bootstrap ourselves into health and wholeness and righteousness, but instead, let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us because this problem, as much as it is physical, as much as it manifests itself in our physical bodies, it is also spiritual. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you said to us today. I pray as we go, be with us. Holy Spirit, be with us. We talked earlier about those of us who need jobs and better jobs. This week as we, as we go about our job search, be with us, Holy Spirit. May we not walk with thought distortions as we go into that interview this week, as we fill out the application. May I not believe the lie of the enemy that I'm always gonna be stuck in this situation. Lord, as I, as I go to work, as I interact with my spouse, my children, my family, whatever my situation may be, may I not walk in the flesh. May I not respond out of the flesh. May I not fall into those old neural pathways, those old patterns of thought and behavior and feeling. But instead, Holy Spirit, may I take every thought captive and hold it up against my identity in Christ and hold it up against the truth. May I interrogate it against the truth of your word. May I live in peace this week because of who I am in Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.